By the way, Brother Adam, at this point, you're going to be on the resolutions committee next year. I'm just letting you know. Please. Welcome, everybody, to the Tag Your It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. And I'm David Van Bepper. And I guess, uh, you know, we left it off with uh, where we're going to be this week. Me still wearing the same clothes. Dave still wearing the same clothes. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're going to kind of continue in the uh, in the vein of the, the He Gets Us thing, but through putting on the flesh of uh, the discussion between, especially between uh, James White, Jeff Durbin, and uh, is a Brandon Roberts. Uh, yeah, and, and by this time when yeah. this airs, there'll be a lot of more commentary on this. So we don't want to pretend like we've got everything said. But there is a key piece that I think is really important in that debate. What came up was Leviticus 18. And one of the things that I think about the transcendental argument is that we demonstrate the absurdity of the position that is being lived out. So we're going to do the answer, don't answer component. And I think that's going to be a really important element when it comes to dealing with what Brandon Roberts is saying here. Not to say that uh, Jeff and and Dr. White did anything wrong, but I think that there's some more things that could be said. And I think that it's important we actually look through some of the things that are being actually asserted and then test them according to the way that they're being put forward. In other words, let's jump into that worldview and let's flesh it out exactly what was said. And I think when you do that with Leviticus 18, you're going to have some problems. But are you ready? Brandon isn't the sole authority on the historical backgrounds of Leviticus 18, by the way. And I think that that's an important thing to recognize. There is not one single unified voice or overwhelming, again, position on the background of Leviticus that he is trying to put forward. In other words, you have non-believing scholars and you have believing scholars. This is actually sacred writ of scripture, the way that Christians have understood scripture throughout church history. There are non-believers here, and they say this about Leviticus. Brandon is going to jump into the scholarship of the non-believing scholars in order to try to validate his position as a supposed believing scholar. That's the problem, and that is a massive inconsistency that we're going to be dealing with. So with that said, we'll jump right here into this part of the debate. And again, Adam, uh, anything you want to say about it, please feel free to do so. Uh here is where we're going to pick up. We will work through some of this and respond. And Adam, I know you got some stuff ready, so be ready sure. to jump in whenever you want. Leviticus 18. We're going to do something real quick. I don't know that I grabbed the – when I grabbed the sharing, I don't know that I grabbed the sound. I don't want to make sure that I got the sound. I heard it. I think Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay. Leviticus 18 verses 1, 2, and 3 talks about it has God speaking and says, These are laws for the people of Israel. Do not do like they do in the land of Egypt. Do not do like they do in the land of Canaan. So, what is happening? The list of commands that we have in Leviticus 18 are a list of practices that were apparently common in Canaan and Egypt. Do a brief study, please, historically, about whether homosexuality and uh, homosexual relationships in the way that I'm advocating for them were common in Egypt or in Canaan, and you'll find no, they were not. So, what is 
And then we look at the context of each of those verses. I'm going to stop there real quick. Okay. So what he is saying in essence is homosexuality in a uh, single monogamous loving relationship was not going on in Egypt and Canaan. Okay. At all. At all. That is a universal negative. It wasn't yeah. going on at all. It wasn't going on. And so, yeah, and it's one of those things that, you know, like you can sort of force this issue. So this is what, you know, atheists will always do. Well, I don't have to prove anything. The onus is on you because of my positive negative claim is that God does not exist. You know, there's no evidence, all that kind of stuff. So that's on you. Well, that's only if we live in a one story universe trying to build the second story for one. Um, but uh, that, the thing is, is he's saying that uh, there that was not. And so you have to actually give us what is. And then we also need um, we, we need proof of what is the the what is what, you know, and then you just can't assert it. And so if he's going to have a debate, he's got to be bringing in scholarship and all that stuff to be able to do it. And then he, so he does it asserted. Bingo. And then here's the other thing, and I think he gets to this just a little bit more, so I'm going to go ahead and hit play here. But you need to make sure he has asserted now that there is um, no way at all – oh, gosh, my, my camera changed, didn't it? <laughs> Sorry about that. You're good. My good camera is not going to be functioning. My great son ah, – I love him to death. Oh, good. I got it back. Yeah, Very yeah. good. I didn't know that that happened. He, he is here and he is uh, playing some switch while I am uh, here. He is here in the office with me. And so he unplugged that. So let me jump back to this. All right. The statement is being made rather clearly here. And he's going to continue to allude to it that Leviticus 18 only applies to the Jews at that particular time and that it doesn't negate any type of same-sex, monogamous, loving, consensual relationship. Um, and I think Leviticus 18.20 says, as you already quoted at the very beginning of this uh, show, a man, uh, do not sacrifice your child to Molech, for this is an abomination. The next verse down is, do not lie with a man as with a woman, for this is an abomination. Then we go on to bestiality. The context is, these are practices that are taking place in Canaan and Egypt. We have no evidence that there was widespread consensual homosexual couples, relationships, families in. But it was going on. And the it thing is, the, going on. he's trying to make he's trying to force an argument from ignorance on our side, say our side of the table. But he's making a claim of ignorance anyway. So it, but it goes, what is abomination? Mean? Yeah, it cuts both ways. It's one of those things you can't say that. And you're trying to say that we can't say that. And it's one of those things. Well, no, we have a category. And the biblical category is a, a, a just a big general statement saying um, it does, consent, like we're, we're well, in the Bible, doesn't are, say are you, must consent and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, so, here's the deal. Um, it clearly and sufficiently says um, that a man is not supposed to lay with another man like you lay with a woman. I don't care. Consensual, if it's, if it's uh, not rape or rape, you don't do it. Well, here's the thing. Yeah. Just take that idea. If the idea, because he's going to argue here yeah. that the majority of man lying with a, another man, as with a woman, that the majority of the homosexual acts were rape acts, then that would actually apply to the idea of men laying with women, that those were also non-consensual acts of rape. 
Do you, do you see what I'm saying there? In yeah. other words, the statement that he's going to make is, well, what really is going on there is that men are proving their ownership of other men by raping them. And that's what he's really talking about. Yeah. yeah. But wait a second. Then that would mean that the majority of the time that men were laying with women, it was in the act of rape. You would have to prove that. I don't think that that was the case. A man shall not lie with a man as he does with a woman. How does a man generally lie with a woman? Consensual, monogamous. Well, I don't know that it was always with consensual, monogamous. But uh, the idea is very clear. That type of relationship is not to be accepted. It's a universal negative. Mm Mm-hmm those cultures, but we do have a preponderance of evidence of exploitative practices. You already know these arguments, that there were both... Preponderance of evidence of exploitative. Yeah, that that argument doesn't work just because until you got a black swan, but you always had to be prepared for the black swan. So if we're going through empiricism anyway, uh, in empiricism, you can't know until you know, but then whenever you know something then you always have more questions right and so you never really know and so you know whenever you're looking through for empirical evidence the big issue with that is it can't even answer its own claim so you know all not you know knowledge all say that if you're an empiricist of you know the enlightenment past um you would say that all knowledge claims are based on experience and um but the thing is, is you'd have to experience all things to be able to know that claim is true so that's where you can't just do the empirical uh, preponderance of evidence um, like that because there could always be the black swan coming along. You say you only see white swans, right? And then um, you're saying all swans are white. Then a black swan comes and then you have to change. Well, then maybe you say, well, um, okay, there's the there's the occasional black swan, um, but there's only white and then like, you know, rare, rare black. And then then you see a bunch of black ones come in and then some green ones too. And so then you're always like you actually never know what you're talking about. So well, and again, the, always comes down to what is the standard. And so how does scripture interpret itself is what you need to be asking. And so it's, it's so, down a general man does not lie with man like he does with a woman. And it doesn't matter if it's consensual or not. You don't do that. My question would be. If these statutes only ar- only apply, let's let's just say let's just jump into the idea. It only applies to rape, non-consensual homosexual relationships. Okay, then extend that concept to man shall not lie with an animal. So in other words, man shall not forcibly rape an animal. I think we're all going to agree with that. But are you saying then, Brandon, that bestiality is okay? Because if your standard is no men, what it really means is men can't rape other men, but they can have consensual sex. Is consensual sex with an animal okay? And my question would be, how do you validate that moral position? I, I assume, I hope that you are against bestiality. Um, I don't know how you provide consensual sex with an animal. I and I'm not trying to be graphic here in some crude, weird way. But if your standard is really that means men are not supposed to forcibly uh, demonstrate that they have ownership over these other men, 
then does that same concept apply here to to animals? And if so, then you would certainly have to be validating bestiality. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. uh, relationships between those who were enslaved in ancient patriarchal cultures where men were allowed to there's his argument male slaves uh, and it was a way of asserting their dominance we also do know few and far between in egyptian and canaanite culture we don't know that much about the ancient canaanite culture but there is some evidence that shows that there were temple prostitution there were uh, sexual sacrifices made to appease gods and goddesses so then all right, now you've now provided us with two pieces. So, we are really and, rape and is wrong, it, and it's really know, wrong. And but what we we don't really don't know about the culture. Um, we have very little that we know. But what we do know is there were temple prostitutes. Um, but I'm just going to say that I do know also that um, there was no consensual. <laughs> yes. So he's just speaking against himself because it's like we have little knowledge. Um, but then. Again, he's going to say we don't objectively know things either, and so he's bringing all that. You got to bring all that baggage into him saying that. Well, but but I do know that you know, like nobody, you know, was in a consent. No, it was all rape situations. I do know that based on the minimal knowledge that we have of the Canaanite culture, or gotcha. do we have a lot of knowledge of the Canaanite culture because God has spoken it? And we can trust that he's make that God is making a general rule here. You don't lie with a man if you're a man. I, I you think we have enough. Full and clear. We have enough information and we don't have to go running with our heads cut off here. God has revealed things. So the revealed things that so the so what has been revealed is for us and our children. The secret things are of God, and what has been revealed is for us and our children is what God says. And so what we have revealed to us reveals that the Canaanite culture consensually or not consensually where men were laying with men women were laying with women and god did not want israel to do that um and that's why he was having israel be the judgment because he said i'm not going to send a flood again because that's probably what they were doing prior to the flood as well and the land was suffering and god was getting done with them and so he sends the flood but he says i'm not going to destroy the earth like that again and so he just sends it by means of a nation um, that he, that's why it's awesome to be a Jew because they were entrusted with the oracles. They were trusted with the word of God. They were trusted with all this stuff that led to Christ. That's why it's cool to be a Jew. And we have that right here and we have information. So I can say that I know that the Canaanites were probably doing, we're, we're doing that. Um, and it could be consensual or not consensual. It didn't matter. God didn't make a decision. So my question would be from a logic standpoint, and you and I talked a little bit about this before the discussion. If we are to take this men shall not lie with men as with women as a universal negative, uh, I think that that's a valid piece to do, which means that there would be no cases of sometimes men can sleep with, can lie with men as with a woman. But that's beside the point because my question would actually be is the statement that men should not lie with animals a universal negative? And if you take that as a universal negative, which I assume you do, I don't know. Maybe you do argue for the validity of bestiality. I'd, I'd like to know. Based upon what biblical text, though, do you get that bestiality is a problem? Because what you've done here is you've destroyed your argument to make a universal negative about bestiality. 
in contending for the first statement, men shall not lie with men as with women, when you say that, no, that's not a universal negative, it's a particular negative, then how do you know that the don't lie with an animal is a particular negative or is a is a universal negative? Or do you not take it as a universal negative? And if so, based upon what? In order to have any type of demonstration that this is not a universal negative, you'd need to supply me with a statement from Scripture that actually speaks in the affirmative to then say that's not a universal negative. Why? Because we can't have a universal negative and a particular affirmative in the same text and it not be contradictory. So in order to demonstrate that this is not a universal negative, I need a particular affirmative, some cases. Otherwise, I'm going to take it from the plain reading of text as a universal negative, just as I would take, and I believe you take, Brandon, don't lie with animals as with women or don't have sex with animals as a universal negative. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. What sure. validation do you have? So it seems based on the culture, the historical analysis of Leviticus 18, that whatever's being referred to in verse 22 is not a broad condemnation of gay male relationships because there weren't those uh, with any frequency in ancient. Again, how do you know that? That's arbitrary. That is philosophical conjecture. That, mm -hmm. All that is is that is arbitrary philosophical conjecture. It's an unproved statement. Yeah. The documentation on the history of the Canaanite people is right here. This is this is going to be more sound, more true, and more valid than anything that was created by man. Oh, wait, but you reject that. Therefore, God didn't speak sufficiently. Therefore, he can't speak authoritatively. So I can decide to do whatever I want about morals. And we've already seen that morals for you are things that don't hurt other people or other things in God's creation. Canaanite or Egyptian culture. But instead, where we do see men having sex with other men are in exploitative and idolatrous circumstances. And it seems to me that that would be something that God would condemn. Oh, well, so, but you just admitted that we don't know very much. Obviously, you're talking about many, many like thousands that. of years ago, so it's very limited. Yeah, exactly what we would be yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, information. Isn't it right. more relevant that in the New Testament, we have apostles of Jesus Christ, and you may not you may not even believe that these are words of scripture. Yeah, and that's the that's the that's the difficulty with dealing with someone like this. We've already pointed out. Uh, Adam said that it was like nailing Jello to the wall. Again, Brandon can always escape any clear teaching of scripture to basically say, "I don't like that. I don't really think that it is from God." So how can you have a real serious discussion about Christianity with a person who does not believe that God has revealed Himself? I'm yeah, and I'm not sure um, if uh, maybe we started it a little bit later in the conversation, but I know um, that he admitted that, you know, like at this moment in time, you know, consensual, um, you know, gay marriages, you know, men, women, whatever, um, you know, 5% of the uh, culture. And so it's very little. So you think uh, something that's 5% is going to be written about less or at least they're going to be. So whenever you get into, like, say, the New Testament, even if it's just 5% of the culture, you know, maybe that might be a reason why that wasn't like a a main talking to topic. Plus, plus the fact that there's an actual meaning to why Jesus came when he did and why he was doing what he was doing, because it actually had to deal with Israel um, to take the next step of the uh, uh, of making the promise true that God said to Abraham, that uh, Abraham was the father of the nations. And so, I mean, again, like your worldview, 
comes into play here. What is your origin? What is your ending here? And I have an origin and an ending here. What is his? And he's not going to give up his. And he's only going to critique yours without giving you his, thinking that he's superior without even arguing his case. And he's just going to be asserting things are better. This is what we're doing. But what is it that we're doing? What else? Why is it better? Um, by what standard? And, and all that kind of all that in there. Um, so, you know, that's just that's what makes it confusing. And uh, it's on purpose uh, to definitely slip out <laughs> of uh, trying to slip out of people's hands when they whenever they have you. Possible from what you said. But when Paul writes to Timothy and he lays out the goodness of the law and he starts working through the Ten Commandments, when he gets the commandment against adultery, he specifically utilizes two terms. Mm-hmm. sexually immoral persons and arsenicoites. So yep. here is an apostle, yep. and he is now much closer to us in time than any uh, research you might do in some type of, I mean, Egyptian, <laughs> Egyptian sexuality was pretty wild. But um, so here's Paul, and he includes and he expands on that commandment, sexually immoral persons and homosexuals. So no. was Paul, inaccurate. I'm sorry? That's an inaccurate interpretation of arsenicoitine. Okay, since it comes from the two Leviticus terms 18. that are used in Leviticus 18 and 20. Right. And Paul may be the first one to use it. There's one other possible text that it, it's it's disputable. So watch what he does with this. I think this is going to be very interesting yeah. and very telling. But it's what men do with men in bed. In fact, to quote the Leviticus passage, lies with a male as one lies with a female so this yep. is sexual sped it up a little it bit has there. nothing to do with all the all the context around it it is the actual act so every place else where we would interpret paul it doesn't matter what other, other text it would be we would look at the septuagint first for the meaning of where he's drawing his his uh, theology and his terminology cool. so how do you get to something other than what men do with men in bed from Leviticus 18 and 20 as interpreted by the Apostle Paul? To me, this is the easiest question. Um, you just heard how I understand Leviticus 18. I don't think Leviticus 18 is referring to all sexual relationships between men of all statuses. So it's not a universal negative. It is a particular negative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then why do you not apply that same standard to animals, animal sex? Or, you know, the uh, taking of, uh, so if, a, if a man has sexual intercourse with a woman who is a slave designated for another man, so is that, can that, could that slave girl actually like the other guy and want to do, do it with him? And, uh, you know, or is that all rape situation? Or giving your children to Moloch. Seems like from the modern lens that there's oppression and stuff that the one that she is a slave to would be the one that's oppressing her and raping her and there might be another guy that she actually likes and so you know god is actually condoning here in the situation that he's going no 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 you you stay with the man that rapes you you don't go for the, and the one that you're a slave to um and it would be bad for you to have sex with another person that is not uh your you know that that is not your master and that you are that that's designated, you know, that's not, de- you know, what, whatever I just said there, because that's getting very nitpicky here. And so I'm, I'm 
stumbling over words here, but it's almost like God in his laws condoning the woman to stay with the raper if you're going to use a modern stuff like that. So there's still yet even another absurdity that comes out of this. Um, But, you know, that's not the case. So, yes, um, this is a trying to this is the continued trying to work around. It seems like he can't get around the arsenicoites, especially if you use scripture to interpret scripture. So what is the best interpreter of other than scripture itself? So if you see something um, when you're in the New Testament, wherever, later revelation, um, if you you might remember something like, I think I saw that somewhere else, especially when you get into the Greek. And then you get into the Septuagint, which is the Greek of the Old Testament. And then you get into the Old Testament through that and stuff like that. You you got to interpret scripture with scripture here. And when you do that, yeah, Again, he's, 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 he's trying to get around it with this. I don't even have enough information about the Canaanites. Um, yet I'm going to say that definitely that's but, not what he's talking about. But he's assuming what he's trying to prove. He's assuming that there isn't a problem that God would be speaking to based upon what evidence. We don't have a whole lot of documents that tell us what was going on in the sex lives of the Egyptians and the Canaanites. We do have a document, though, that tells us what was going on in the sex lives of the Egyptians and Canaanites. It's it's right here. It's God's word. And so this is that's more valid than anything you're going to find. Especially Leviticus, very it's an it's an historical document, and so this is historical. You read it as history, um, you know. So if you're going to exclude this as evidence of what you're bringing into the understanding of what Canaanite culture, uh, Egyptian culture, Persian culture, Mede culture, um, and then you get into Roman culture with the Jewish culture of that generation and all that stuff, yeah, this is historical. The documentation. You get psalms that are, that are posted, you got prophetic language and you got all that stuff. But there's literally history written in the pages here that has to be treated as um, part of like telling you history. And by the way, the Christian who is consistent or trying to be consistent is going to hold scripture as the highest standard for what is true. Now Scripture will validate our interpretation of the evidence that we find. Yeah, but you start with that. And he's already told us at the beginning, oh, I don't, I don't, I get to choose what I want to believe and what I don't want to believe again. Why are we even talking about Leviticus 18? In all cultures, no context. I believe, it, believe it's referring to practices in Canaan and Egypt and that the prohibitions in Leviticus 18 are primarily ritual and cultural, not primarily ethical. So we have a list of things that, Debatably, there are things in Leviticus 18 that some people would consider immoral, some might not consider ethically immoral. Paul quotes back to Leviticus 18, despite the fact that there are over about 16, give or take, words in Koine Greek that refer to a variety of homosexual relationships, homosexual sex. So, so yeah, stop it there. Just, you know, he, he said that it was all culturally based, and that that's not true. So if we go again back to Leviticus 19.1, just at the very beginning, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them what. Here's where, you know, as presuppositionalists, whatever, um, we get we get told that we're conflating ontology with epistemology here. No, we're not. We're not conflating it like as a transcendent up move. No, God has said here, he says, be holy because I, am, the Lord God, am holy. So this is not cultural. 
This is not arbitrary. He's saying, I am holy. You are to be holy like me. I am the standard. God, the triune God, created all things for his glory. And so that's the way things have to be by necessity. That's what he's calling them to. It's not, I'm just divine commanding homosexually bad because I say so. No, it's because God is a God of order and he has created order and he has established order in his world. He established male and female for one another. That is why. To be an expression to reflect through the division of labor, male and female, the fullness of the glory of God through that relationship. And so that's the dominion mandate. He created male and female. Yeah. And that's why it's that's why it's talked about the church in Christ being a marriage relationship. And so Mm. Jesus is not marrying himself. He's marrying somebody different. And there is a binary. And it's not just there because it was just the cultural norm in the first century. It's the culture. It's supposed to be the cultural norm from beginning. And we messed it up and God has handed this over. And then it's led us to what? To burn with lust the way we want to burn. And God lets us do it in judgment. And so that's that's the thing is I am holy. You're to be holy for I am holy. Again, it's not cultural. Now, this is what they were doing. And God was condemning it because they were under obligation because they were image bearers too and god was judging them utilizing israel to be that judgment upon them yes paul uses none of the words that his here i'm going to jump forward here real quick context and read those words in greek hebrew and english it does seem clear it does seem to be a prohibition of all gay sex but i also made the point that to rip a text out of its literary and cultural context is bad hermeneutics I argue that many evangelicals like James... But you were never able to prove that, i.e. the statement about sex with animals, the statements about adultery. Likewise, you never proved what you asserted regarding the sexual behaviors that were only a problem in those places. Oh, no, those weren't problems. There wasn't same-sex consensual, again, special pleading fallacy. So... Jeff do this often. They zero in on individual words to exegete the text based on what each individual word means. But Brandon, by what standard do you ever provide any hermeneutical lens? How do you do hermeneutics? You never provide any of that evidence. You critique, but you never say, and here is how you understand and interpret scripture. Not given in the debate at all, by the way. And think that's solid hermeneutics. But looking at individual words to uncover their meaning is only one part of solid biblical interpretation. If you do not also do the work to understand the cultural background, the beliefs, the assumptions of the world that the text comes from. But why would you do historical grammatical exegesis if you don't even know that it's really God's word? What would be the point of that? You already have demonstrated there is no authority and you you can excuse your way out of any text that you want to excuse your way out of by appealing to what you believe because some scholars, some scholars non-believing scholars, by the way, who don't even believe that Leviticus is a historical document, have said a few things. You're more often than not going to come to a deficient or faulty understanding of what the text is trying to communicate. As someone who values the Bible and takes seriously... You value the Bible? 
you just said it wasn't God's word in this debate that you didn't you said it well you know being a little neo-orthodox there's a few things that are God's word but I don't know what those things are except for the things that I like you've never proven any methodology by which you're actually doing that Obviously, my study of the Bible I've done the work specifically on these verses and on this topic it was obvious that neither James nor Jeff has done the same they could quote the verse in Greek and Hebrew, but knew nothing of ancient Egyptian or Canaanite culture. But wait a second. You... The thing... okay. <laughs> they knew nothing of Canaanite or Egyptian culture, yet he admitted that we don't have much anyway. And that's what James just pointed out, <laughs> you know, prior to this is like, well, we don't have much. But from the little we have, I can make the bombastic absolute claim that none of it was consensual that that's not the kind of thing that they were talking about. They were only talking about um, rape situations, which then puts the whole text into question. Well, then everything's rape. And it's one of those things that you have to really worry about the, the word all and never whenever you see that. Whenever you see that, you, that's what you got to question. But you can't, you can't question this based on, well, to him, his by his admission, scant information. That precludes this as a historical document that can speak to it to begin with. So again, which book are you utilizing? If I had two books here, am I going to use this book to prove this book, or am I going to use this book to prove this book? And if that's the case, we're all being arbitrary. And what are we doing? We're just putting ether, we're putting like waves into the ether. Yeah. Cause you can even prove um, the immaterial um, principles that you're using without declaring the truth of this God that is spoken to man. So that's the problem. You, you, everything that he says, he undercuts because he undercuts Jesus, which is God, as he says and believes, um, but he then does not trust Jesus's word. So you've got a principle and practice issue. You can say, Lord, Lord, but he has to actually be Lord of you and you have to actually act as his subject. Luckily, and he gets us folks and a brother, and it's a saving relationship for sure, but it's still a lordship issue. And you got to, and he's invited you to be one that is his servant. And yes. then you, or your king, and you listen to your king, and you are subservient to your king. And so, you know, you can believe in buddy Jesus that'll just let you do anything, but that's not the Jesus of this. And it doesn't even matter. The Bible seemingly doesn't matter. But then again, where are you going to get the information of Jesus if you preclude the Bible from the conversation? So where else are you going to get your Jesus to then be able to go, well, this book over here tells me about Jesus. So now I can utilize the scripture. So where's your authority? My question where's would be, yeah, well, there's a lot there. And I think the connection to the He Gets Us movement and the type of people that you invite to the table because of your vagueness and your lack of clarity presents a real problem because you can't exclude someone like Brandon Robertson in the way that I believe you need to when you use vague terms. Words make a difference. Words have meaning. Why? Because God uses words to communicate. Well, Adam, I think we have nailed another episode here, and uh, I look forward to our next gathering when we deal with who knows what we'll deal with next. I do have a bunch of TikTok videos that a guy from my church keeps sending me, and I want to do a TikTok special. That's what we'll have we to do next time. We can do a TikTok time. special. A TikTok special.
I've collected some good memes and pictures and um, there was like, it might be kind of a cool to do it. We haven't done meme theology in a while. No, too. we haven't. Come back to meme theology. And even though it'll be maybe a couple of weeks late, we had just had the time change. And I found like a really cool uh, meme to talk about that we can utilize uh, for some uh, theological talk. So I will end up texting that to you. Oh, and thank get, you, brother. And if we have enough time, we can definitely uh, run through that. And I think that would be beneficial uh, to our podcast listeners. And they would enjoy that big time. So it sounds like we've got a lot of stuff in the works. And again, informal podcast, always by the seat of our pants. Um, but that's the uh, wonderful thing that if you have the word of God, if you study the word of God and uh, you listen to him and you trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior, he is and realize that he's given you everything for life and righteousness and life in him. Right. If he's given you all those things, um, you, we can have these conversations and you can kind of be on the fly with them. And uh, it's just fine. So, again, we still need to be careful that we do what the Bible says and we're slow to speak, quick to listen. And so, yeah, we'll be taking some time. I get all these ideas, but usually the ideas don't come out um, for a while just to make sure that we sit and stew enough, that we listen enough. Um, so then, therefore, we can speak and we can be consistent with the way uh, scripture where Jesus has called us to live. And whenever we're not, you know, we know that we can come to him as a savior. We don't have to go run and hide and, and build our own little shelter for that because he's our shelter. So that's the gospel in this too. So whenever we are doing all this stuff uh, with Brandon, we don't do this to shut him out. Like we want to have him in the kingdom with us, yeah. but he is kicking himself out. So that's what we're all going to realize is that people have kicked themselves out because they wanted their kingdom. They didn't want to submit to Christ. And in the end, we will see how people just kick themselves out. Just like Peter, whenever he, Jesus said, like, go fish over there. And that's all it took for Peter to recognize he was unholy. And he said, get away from me, Jesus, right? Mm. You know, that's what they're going to do. Get away from me. That what did Adam do? He went and hid, covered himself with fig leaves. And, but what did the savior God do? Gave him a lot better clothes and <laughs> let him live. And, and stuff and sanctified him for 930 years with a couple of mm. a few kids and especially a horrible situation to be sanctified through too. So if we, again, but then again, I can say it because I have an eschatology and I have origins and I have a That's world right. given to me by the revelation of God. So it's, it's amazing. So it brings everything full circle a little bit. Yeah, we'll continue um, the conversation. And uh, again, please uh, give us feedback on what's going on. If you have questions about He Gets Us, if there's anything else that you guys would like to see on Tag Your It, please email us some ideas and we'll see how, how it works. There's a few things that I would like to get to that I've been asked, but just some guests that I can't get yet. Um, so, you know, there's, there's reasons why maybe we haven't hit things that have uh, been asked or whatever, um, but we'll eventually get to them. But yeah, just uh, keep keep us in the loop on what you guys want to hear. And uh, so the tackle will do it. Um, other than that, uh, like us on Facebook, uh, subscribe on YouTube and give us a, a nice review on all the platforms or whatever platform you're listening to this on. So uh, with please. that. Oh, yeah, you. you yeah, please do that. That's good. No, no, I'm just grateful you said that. Please like and subscribe. Please give us good feedback. We really do appreciate that. And share our podcast on your social media, stream, whatever. Uh, we appreciate that. Yeah. So with that said, this is the Tag Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm David Van Becker. And Sully. Deo. Gloria. <laughs>